Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Kenya beefs up security along its border with Somalia and South Africa's deputy president warns against lawlessness in land reform. In economics news, G7 finance ministers ready to take action on coronavirus and in sports news, South Africa ready for the T20 World Cup semi-final against Australia. But first up the news with Anne Musa. SABC News independent and impartial from an african perspective a very good morning to you i'm Anne musa kenyans risk being fined 50000 us dollars or be jailed for 2 years for publishing or sharing fake news about outbreak of the coronavirus. The country has no confirmed case of the virus, although a high court judge last week temporarily suspended all direct flights from China after public fears over the virus. Authorities say they have enhanced monitoring of social media and other digital platforms to check the spread of misinformation about coronavirus. The government spokesperson Cyrus Guna says detectives from the Cybercrime Unit are analyzing content shared online for investigation, arrest and prosecution of those culpable. The death toll from the outbreak of the coronavirus in Italy has meanwhile risen to 79 in the past 24 hours. In the same period, the number of cases has also risen to 2,502 in the country, which has been the hardest hit by the virus in Europe. The outbreak is focused mainly on a handful of hot spots in the north of Italy. However, cases have now been confirmed in all but one of the country's 20 regions. Ten... Suspected illegal migrants have been found inside a shipping container at a dock in Hull in England. The group of seven men, two women and a child from Eritrea arrived at the port in an uh, unaccompanied container. Both men, both women rather, and a man were taken to hospital, although none was thought to be in a life-threatening condition. The remainder were checked by medical staff at the scene. Ethiopia has accused the U.S. of overstepping its role as a neutral observer on the controversial Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. The dam has sparked fears in Cairo that Egypt's already scarce supplies of Nile River water, on which its population of more than 100 million people is almost entirely dependent, would be further restricted. The BBC's Yusuf Tahar reports. I think when we got the first result from Virginia being declared immediately for Joe Biden, it was suddenly looking like it's very much a two-horse. And finally, voting is over in 12 of the 14 U.S. states taking part in Super Tuesday primaries. The former vice president, Joe Biden, is projected to win Virginia Tennessee, North Carolina, Alabama, Minnesota and Oklahoma. Senator Bernie Sanders is projected to win in Vermont and Colorado. It's the biggest single day of primaries in the process to decide who will represent the Democrats in November's presidential election against Donald Trump. The BBC's John Sopel reports. I think when we got the first result from Virginia being declared immediately for Joe Biden, it was suddenly looking like it's very much a two-horse race. And that's the way it's going. I would say Biden is very much in there and it's a very different story from what it looked like a week ago. What we're seeing is that among young people and where the population is broadly young in a state, it's very good for Bernie Sanders. And where there is an older population and where there's a big African-American population, that is rather better for Joe Biden. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The authorities in Kenya have tightened security in the country's northeastern county of Mandera following heavy fighting taking place in neighboring Somalia's self-declared independent state of Jubaland. Channel Africa's James Shimangula has more. The fighting in Jubaland pits its armed forces against the Mogadishu government troops. The troops are reportedly pursuing more than 10 Somali politicians reported to have taken refuge in Kenya's northeastern county of Mandera. Let us now cross into Jubaland, where staccato bursts of gunfire has been heard in neighboring Kenya's Mandera county. As staccato bursts of gunfire continues in Jubaland, military vehicles rumble through various places there, close to the border separating Jubaland and Kenya, as people run helter-skelter. The sound of rumbling military vehicles and staccato bursts of gunfire in Jubaland has forced residents of Mandera County in Kenya to flee the border area and seek refuge in safer places. The description of what is happening is summed up by this fleeing Mandera resident. From where I am standing, I can see spiraling flames of fire. Although the fighting in Jubaland had not spread into Kenya with the exception of the sound of gunfire, ordinary Kenyans want the Nairobi government to ensure that they are safe in Mandera County, as one of them explains candidly. We don't want to be involved in a war between the federal government of Somalia and Jubaland, and we want to demand from our country, Kenya, to safeguard the interests of the people in Kenya. Another Kenyan citizen suggests that the Kenyan government should, as he put it, locate more than 100 soldiers that are reportedly stationed at the Kenya-Jubaland border. Our government relocates the people who are illegally in our border, armed soldiers which are numbering 100 plus. The third ordinary Kenyan citizen remains worried about the ongoing fighting in neighboring Jubaland. We don't know what the casualties are because nobody is able to go that side. There's heavy smoke coming up from... Uh, our side and uh, we don't know what casualties are now on our border. We are worried. This fourth ordinary Kenyan citizen sounded angry when he alleged that Kenyan authorities have illegally accommodated fugitives. The Kenya government through Kenya Defense Forces is supporting fugitives in, in Mandara. We cannot allow this and we are asking the presidency to take action on whoever has given him the adequate host or to keep this fugitive for one month thereby uh, leading to what now happened in, in Mandera. Mandera County Senator Mohamed Mahmoud paints the latest situation in Mandera, home to more than 800,000 people. Half of Mandera town has now been deserted, and we already have internally displaced people within Mandera, uh, parts of Mandera. And therefore, our plea is that our government should intervene. The voice of Mohamed Mahmoud, who represents the people of Mandera County, in the Kenya Senate. At this juncture, it may be pertinent to point out that the Kenya government has maintained its support for Ahmed Madobe, president of the self-declared independent state of Jubaland. Madobe is reportedly working closely with the Kenyan authorities in fighting Al-Shabaab militants in Somalia's Juba and the Gedo regions. Historically, Jubaland is shorthand for Somalia's diverse southernmost section linked by the course of the Juba River. The original Juba provinces covered a much larger area, but in 1975, the late President Siad carved the Deni Lower and Upper Juba into Middle and Lower Juba, Gedo, Bay, and Bokol regions. Gedo, 
was created as a predominantly Marehan clan area, a clan for president who was a Marehan. Jubaland state consists of Gedo, Middle Juba, and Lower Juba, all areas adjacent to the Kenya-Somali border. As has been said at the outset, Jubaland is a self-declared independent state in the Federal Republic of Somalia. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. South Africa's Deputy President David Mabuza has conceded that government had erred in the past by not using land that is in its hands for land restitution. Mabuza says while the constitutional reforms to provide for the expropriation of land is necessary, more could have been done to use the land that government already has to speed up land reform. Answering questions in the National Council of Provinces, Mabuza has also expressed confidence in the new ESCOM CEO saying he is what the country has been waiting for. Joseph Mosia reports. Government has been criticized in the past that it had rushed to adopt the policy of expropriation of land without compensation without first using existing land in the hands of the state. Mabuza conceded that not releasing this land to speed up land reform was a mistake. That land could have been redistributed to people. It could have increased our productive capacity in terms of agriculture. It could have lessened uh, the the, the shortage of uh, human settlement, land for human settlement. I mean, we could have done a bit as government. So we take that criticism and we moved faster. You'll realize the kind of land that we're going to release. This land is there in the hands of government. And we are saying to departments, tell us, why you should keep that land. Mabuza says, however, he's concerned about reports of sporadic land grabs, including incidents in the northwest. He has, however, urged municipalities to enforce their rights by making sure no one is allowed to illegally settle on land owned by them. I don't agree with municipalities that they will allow people to invade land and they keep quiet. And then we want to come at a later stage and say, no, you must leave. And they don't provide them with an alternative land. The moment you put the first check as a municipality, I'll be there and say, and then what's your problem? This is not your land. Because it is the responsibility of the provincial government to look after its assets. It is the responsibility of the municipality to look after its assets. The deputy president says the problems of energy generation that ESCOM is facing are necessary as they will strengthen it in the future. Mabuza says he's satisfied with the work being done at the power utility to try and bring it back to full operation. He said he was impressed by the new leadership at ESCOM, especially the CEO. I must commend the new CEO. He's doing very, very well. You can hear the message that is coming from ESCOM that is consistent, maintenance, maintenance, even if it means putting certain power stations out of operation do that so that you secure the power supply. This is the message that South Africans have been waiting, and we can see now that the CEO is on the right track. He added that one of the biggest problems facing the utility is the refusal by some communities to pay for services. He says it is time that these communities are educated about their responsibilities. I must say to our people in Soweto, I was part of them, when we're boycotting payments, when we're saying, let's not pay, because we wanted to bring down the apartheid government. But things have changed. Today we've got a democratic government. We can talk, and we must pay. We must sustain our own country. That is my appeal to them as brothers and sisters. This time, this is your own government. The Congress of South African Trade Unions, Kasatu, is adamant that it will not engage government's plans to cut the public wage bill at any forum outside the Collective Bargaining Council. Speaking after attending a meeting of the ruling ANC's National Working Committee at Lutuli House and meeting between business, government and labor at Nedlek yesterday, Kasatu General Secretary Begin Jalinjali has made it clear that plans to cut the wage bill by 160 billion rand over three years announced in 
and last week's budget speech were not up for discussion. Busichimombe has more. Labour organisations have been unequivocal about their unhappiness around any muted plans to change the three-year wage agreement signed with government in 2018. Kosato General Secretary Begin Jalin Jali says ANC National Working Committee meeting discussed issues re- relating to the rescue of SAA and did not address the impasse with relation to the public wage agreement. If anybody wants to open up that negotiations, must go to the right forum, which is the bargaining uh, council, where wages and working conditions of the public services are discussed. No other forum, because any other forum have no legal instruments to even implement what might be agreed. So if you have to talk it anyway, it will be just an informal discussion, but eventually it has to go back there. Trade unions are waiting for government to come back and to say, you make this proposal, uh, what are you saying about it? Njali Njali has accused government of acting in bad faith with regards to its plans to cut the public sector wage bill by 160 billion rand over the next three years. He has warned it will set a bad precedent for the private sector. There's a lot of support from the private sector saying to the government, please don't back down in dealing with those things. The private sector has not been able to do this thing. They've honored the agreement, the multi-year agreement, and, and now they see government taking this stance. Of course, they may intend to do the same, that if government can do it, can negotiate in bad faith, who's going to call them to account when the same government, who's the custodian of promoting collective bargaining, is do as it pleases. Meanwhile, the SACP has urged government and public sector unions to ensure that their agreement, due to be implemented on the 1st of April, remains protected for the sake of service delivery. Spokesperson Alex Mashilo. The starting point is to engage, to protect the agreement. That is very important. Because if you break down collective bargaining agreements, you are paving the way to industrial instability. And in this instance, you should appreciate that by industrial instability, we are referring to public service. So public service is uh, very big, and many people rely on it on a daily basis. You do not need a disruption in that sphere of our economy, and government has to appreciate that. Leader of the Tripartite Alliance, the ANC, has taken a hands-off approach on the matter, saying the parties must endeavor to find each other. Spokesperson Pulemabe. I don't think that uh, it is really for the African National Congress to get into the details. There is uh, uh, the Treasury on the one side, uh, 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 there is the Trade Union Federation on the other side. You expect that well within those uh, bodies, they would all have a different uh, understanding and uh, undertakings of what really needs to be happening. And it is out of them engaging in whatever platforms that they elect to use, where they would ultimately be able to find a solution. Workers will be watching closely the engagements between their representatives and government between now and the 1st of April, when the next tranche of the wage agreement is scheduled to be implemented. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. South Africa's Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure, Patricia DeLille, has told MPs that she awaits a decision from President Cyril Ramaphosa regarding the possible provisional suspension of her department's Director General, Sam Vogela. This after investigation reportedly implicated him and four other departmental officials for irregular expenditure of 76 million rand for three state funerals. 
Dr. Lil and a delegation from her department briefed Parliament's Standing Committee on Public Accounts Scopa on the department's 2018-2019 annual report. MPs had questions around the nearly 80 million rand spent on three state funerals in the year under review. One of the funerals was for ANC stalwart Winnie Madigazela Mandel. Serene Merrington has more. Three state funerals of ANC stalwarts, Zola Skweia, Billy Modise and Winnie Madikizela Mandela cost the taxpayers 76 million rand. An investigation by a private audit firm found grossly inflated figures and pointed the finger at five departmental officials. But the names of these officials caused high drama in the sitting of Scopa. None of those implicated are suspended, even though the minister, Patricia Delol, gave permission for disciplinary action to be taken. I think what the officials failed to tell you is that in June of 2019, the Auditor General wrote to us and instructed us to have an investigation. That's where it started. I then uh, asked the, the, the officials to, to do the investigation. They brought in the services of uh, PricewaterCoopers to assist them. And a report was delivered to the department by the end of December, November, December 2019. So we have done the investigation. Um, what needs to be done now is that we need to act on those recommendations within the report. What they also didn't mention that I have to put on record here is that unfortunately our DG is also implicated in that report. When the chairperson of SCOPA, Mkulule Kathlengwa, asked for the report containing the names of those implicated, the Deputy Director General, Imtiaz Faisal, handed him a document with alterations. Are there any amendments to this report? Or oh, it's as is? So why would you hand me a report that's got blacked outlines? I'm not sure, Chairperson, why that is there. Well, I'll tell you why. The minister has indicated that the DG is implicated. Well, it's his name that's crossed out here. I mean, this report came from you there. Like, I asked, I asked for it. It was handed over. The, the, honestly, honestly speaking, this is unacceptable. We are not going to allow you to protect each other. It's precisely for this reason why the names are very hard to come out because you're trying to doctor reports. Members of the committee responded. You don't say a word. DG, you know very well that you are conflicted. You continue to respond to issues of the funeral. We would not even believe anything you say anymore. That is why you are sitting here and saying to the chairperson that you will consult with the minister today. Consult what? Because you guys know what you are doing. As far as I'm concerned, you also need the SIU. For me, Honorable Chairperson, it confirms the, uh, the perception that is there in the public that this is the most corrupt department. But Bukela says he knew nothing about being implicated. I'm not aware that I'm implicated in anything. I'm not aware. I must be honest with you. Uh, this matter, uh, I'm also not not party to the doctoring of a document that was provided to the chair. The committee concluded that it would obtain a legal opinion on how information was shared in the committee and what steps could be taken. Amzaline Merrington at Parliament. The Association of Public Accounts Committees in South Africa, APAC, has painted a bleak picture about the performance of the country's municipalities. It says close to a billion rand is spent on consul consultants to prepare financial statements for auditing, even where there are personnel with financial skills to do the job. APAC says the number of municipalities that obtain cleaned and unqualified audit opinions is decreasing. It has blamed this on the shortage of critical skilled personnel, unethical organizational culture and lack of consequence management. This emerged at a roundtable discussion held in Johannesburg on Tuesday to discuss the City of Johannesburg Metropolitan Municipality's recent annual report. Tsepo Pachan reports.
The General Secretary of the Association of Public Accounts Committees, Mbonge Nirkhatebe, says the audit findings of municipalities paint a grim picture. The current audits, uh, the number of uh, municipalities that have received uh, clean audits has moved to 20. It's gone up, uh, but generally, in terms of what has happened in the municipalities, there has been a regression. Uh, the number of uh, municipalities that get clean audit and an unqualified audit opinion has been going down in the past three years. One municipality that received an unqualified audit opinion in the 2018-19 financial year is the city of Johannesburg. Irregular spending by the city of Johannesburg has increased from over 2 billion rent in the 2017-18 financial year to 3.5 billion in the 2018-19 financial year. This means the Metro Municipality did not comply with supply chain management regulations. Mapi from Gadi from the local government association Salga says the city also had numerous repeat audit findings, some of which emanated from the 2016-17 financial year. If you check, the city was not able to pay their creditors within 30 days and is still an issue even in 2018-19. And if you check at the quality of financial statements, which in most cases municipality they use consultants, is still a matter of concern to the city. The application of consequence management in terms of holding people accountable is, is still not being applied in the city. Khatebe expressed concern at the increasing use of consultants by municipalities. He says many of the country's 273 municipalities continue to spend millions procuring consultants to prepare their financial statements for auditing, even in municipalities where there are chief financial officers who can do the job. In the last financial year, 1718, this one, the current one, almost uh, 789 million was spent by municipalities uh, on the on the use of consultants uh, for for, fi- for their finances. It's going towards a billion. The biggest user of the consultants for their financial statements is Northwest. They've used 180 million uh, for this purpose. And even after this amount of money that has been used for for this purpose, they don't have in- even one municipality with uh, unqualified audit opinion. Uh, never mind. Uh, so all of them are still disclaimers, adverse, and some of them didn't submit even after uh, being paid for by the consultants. Khatebe says they are lobbying parliament for the establishment of a municipal public accounts committee in all municipalities to do oversight over the executive members of council. They want non-executive members of council to sit on these committees and not speakers or deputy speakers, as is the situation in some municipalities. Chairperson of the Municipal Public Accounts Committee in the city of Johannesburg, Tandi Notenja, says there are challenges in getting management to account. As MPEC, what more can we do, especially when it comes to consequence management? I mean, we seem to be singing like a broken record to our management with no results coming up. How do we ensure that management do what they should be doing. Salga has pledged to intervene and assist, including by offering training and workshops. Tsepopagani, SABC News. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. I'm an actress. I'm a motivational speaker. Born with albinism. Um, The nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no. Why are you asking me that question? When I grew up, there was no publication of person with albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi. 
the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Pule Mulebazi, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Kenyans risk being fined 50,000 US dollars or be jailed for two years for publishing or sharing fake news about the outbreak of the coronavirus. Ethiopia accuses the United States of overstepping its role as a neutral observer on the controversial Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. And voting is over in 12 of the 14 states in the of the United States taking part in Super Tuesday primaries. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The South African Health Department is concerned that the screening of coronavirus and other diseases has not taken place at the Bightbridge border post in the Limpopo province over the past few weeks. Screening was done for a week last month amidst the outbreak of coronavirus epidemic in China, which is spreading globally. Border officials and travellers are also concerned about the lack of screening. Ruzani Chivase reports. Bait Bridge is South Africa's second busiest port of entry after OR Tambo International Airport. It receives thousands of travellers daily from other African countries through Zimbabwe. When the SABC arrived at the border post, Four police officers were stationed where health officials are usually stationed. These travelers are concerned about lack of screening. I'm from Zimbabwe, but they never screened me for the coronavirus. I eh? know I'm worried, but I don't know what's going on that side. But uh, what can I say if they never screened me? I just pass where I'm from, then I'm going home. They're coming from uh, Zimu, we're going back home in SA. But uh, today there were no people screening or what call that foot and mouth, it wasn't there today. Uh, there's nothing about corona anyway. Uh, we should be worried, but isn't that thing in, in Asia only? But we should be worried because it's a port of entry, then we should be worried. I'm in Zimbabwe. The National Health Department is concerned that the screening of coronavirus and other diseases is not happening at the border. Health spokesperson Dr. Loazimanzi says health officials are supposed to be screening every traveler entering the country. Bedbridge is a very important port of entry, not necessarily for coronavirus, but because it receives so many travelers, particularly coming from the north. We still have uh, you know, much more immediate uh, health concerns like malaria. You know, Bedbridge is not ever supposed to stop working. Uh, it shouldn't even be related to coronavirus. So we are not happy to hear that uh, there might be an issue there. Certainly no directive was issued from the Department of Health to stop any work to, uh, happening there. So there will be immediate intervention to ensure that the screenings are in fact taking place. Meanwhile, a Limpopo man who returned from China last month following a two-year internship program says South Africans in China are safe because they are mostly in cities where there is a lockdown. I was in uh, Wuxi province. This coronavirus uh, is dangerous. It's affecting the government of China in all different ways. For the parents who the children that they in China, they must believe that uh, they are safe because uh, they are very protective when to come to the foreigners because they know that the foreigners, they are very much important. They must just keep uh, the belief and then keep in contact with their children and to make sure that uh, they are safe. In the rural areas, the way the damage is way. Coronavirus cases have been reported in African countries such as Algeria, Nigeria, 
Egypt and Senegal. I'm Rosan Chibase, SBC Radio News, at the Bait Bridge border between South Africa and Zimbabwe. Stakeholders are holding meetings behind closed doors in an attempt to end the ongoing standoff between the city of Cape Town Metropolitan Municipality in South Africa and a group of foreign nationals currently living on the pavement just outside the central police station in the CBD. The group was removed from the pavement outside the central Methodist church at the weekend. Chris Mabuya reports. A group of refugees removed outside the Central Methodist Church in Cape Town at the weekend have found a new place to squat in the CBD. The group, together with their children, were evicted from the pavement along the Long Market and Berg streets in Green Market Square on Sunday. Last month, the city was granted an interim order to remove the refugees who are part of a group that were removed outside the offices of the UNHRC offices in October last year. One of the refugees, Lutula, living on the pavement in Alberta Street outside the District 6 Museum, says they have nowhere to go. The solution is about to give a temporary accommodation. The first court we went they just said they have to give us a temporary accommodation where home affairs will come to verify each and every one made of documentation or something like that. After that, and UNHCR will come also to do its job, but they didn't do that. I don't know if the judge is aware of the situation. Mayoral Committee Member for Safety and Security, J.P. Smith, says negotiations are underway to break the impasse. He says the only option is night shelters for those who qualify. In terms of the interim order, refugees seeking help must show reasons why they cannot go back to their initial homes. The court order says for that group of people, which would make it about 20 out of the total group, you have to look within your policy framework at what you can offer them. The only thing we can offer a person who comes to us and says, well, I can't live where I'm living anymore, is to say, well, the available accommodation option we have is the night shelter or the waiting list. Now, the foreign nationals don't qualify for the waiting list, so the only other option we have for them are night shelter opportunities. We are happy to make contact with all the shelters, find out where there are shelter accommodation available. Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs has meanwhile called on foreign nationals to obey the laws of the land. Chairperson Bongani Bongo has called for an immediate solution of the situation involving foreign nationals. I'm Chris Mabuya in Cape Town. The South African Department of Education maintains that it has no intention of changing their course of action when it comes to the rolling out of comprehensive sexuality education in schools and there would be no option, no opt-out for parents who disagree with CSE. Heralded as a champion for CSE, the department's Dr. Granville Whittle yet again rubbish claims that CSE seeks to teach pupils how to have sex. Whittle spoke at the recent launch of the Because We Can youth-driven initiative in Cape Town, where he vehemently urged the public to seek clarity on CSE. Channel Africa's Jane Rabotata has more. Comprehensive sexuality education, or CSE, remains a controversial topic in South Africa, despite government's efforts to increase understanding amid preparations for its rolling out in schools. Worsening the situation is the circulation of fake explicit sexual images claimed to be part of books produced by the Department of Education and a lobby group accused of creating misleading social media posts. To reflect on what sparked the CSE outrage, here's Dr. Granville Whittle, Deputy Director General of Care and Support Services at the Department of Education. Um, last year, as you know, we in the National Department, we put together a team of experts to work to write a new set of life orientation textbooks for our schools. And when we started this particular process, one of the areas we specifically wanted to improve was the area of CSE because as some teachers in the Eastern Cape and they were saying they're a bit uncomfortable with some of these things that are in the CSE. And it's for that reason that we developed the scripted lesson plans. And one of our writers on this particular course then leaked some of the content. And of course that's when the furore 
come into place. According to the department, the core aim of CSE and its scripted lessons plans or SLPs is to ensure that learners are helped to build an understanding of concepts, content, values and attitudes related to sexuality, sexual behavior change as well as leading safe and healthy lives. With research indicating high birth rates among adolescents and teenagers and 34% of girls and boys experiencing sexual violence before the age of 17, experts say the situation necessitates the great need for age-appropriate child abuse prevention education that builds resilience, confidence and assertion amongst young people who often do not know when they are being violated by sexual predators. Despite the CSE pushback, Dr. Whittle says efforts to further engage all stakeholders are continuing, but it is not easy. Earlier this year, in January of this year, we had consultations with various groupings. We met with young people, religious leaders and traditional leaders, and then we met with teacher unions and SGB federations that represent the parents. We met with the young people first maybe a hundred young people from across the country. They asked us if they could come into the meeting with the religious leaders. And of course we said yes. And as soon as the meeting started, I made welcoming remarks and so on. One very prominent religious leader in the country was also a very prominent politician. He got up and he took, he had a copy of one of the scripted lesson plans and he slammed it on the table. Slammed it and he said it is filth. And there was a hushed silence in the room. And right at the back of the room, a hand went up. A young woman, when she stood up, she said, I'm 18 years old. And she said, if this is the leadership that comes from our politicians and our religious leaders, then I want nothing to do with it. Ten minutes later, that particular very prominent politician left the room and they didn't return. Ntabiseng Mukhashwa is a young advocate with the Siagwazi Youth Network who is in support of CSE. She explains her understanding of the intentions of CSE through what she calls the umbrella philosophy. If someone comes to you and gives you an umbrella, they are not saying it is going to rain. What they are simply entailing is that in case it rains, here's an umbrella to protect yourself. Same goes with a condom. If we give a young person a condom, we are not saying a young person should go and have sex. We are saying in case a young person has sex, they know they are protected. It goes back to the comprehensive sexuality education. A definition of a comprehensive sexuality education, ladies and gentlemen, it will be an age-appropriate, culturally relevant approach to teaching about sexuality and relationships by providing scientifically accurate, realistic, and non-judgmental information. Mohasha and Dr. Whittle were keynote speakers at the recently launched campaign dubbed Because We Can. The two-year initiative will run in eight Southern African nations, promoting sexual reproductive health and rights or SRHR information and services, as well as CSE. Speaking in one voice, young participants at the launch welcomed the youth-driven initiative, arguing that it is about time they are given a say in matters that directly affect them. We are unable to access the services which we are entitled to constitutionally. So now if you find the statistics that reflect on the kind of teenage pregnancies that we have, the HIV, the gender-based violence, you realize these are the calamities that loom because of the lack of access to services that already exist. Now we are trying to revolutionize the kind of the status quo we have in the health sector. Basically, accessing these services is not easy at all in my country because you're either afraid of being ridiculed or the services are not in your cross range. But then we would say that our government is actively participating in the provision of these services. We see them providing condoms in almost all the tertiary institutions. We are in the Sadiq regions um, and I, I would say um, the challenges are the same. For my country and comparing to Africa, I think we are in terms of HIV prevalence and people participating in decision-making bodies, we are lagging behind. Those are the voices of young participants of the Because We Can campaign, representing South Africa, Malawi and Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. The first witness in the controversial trial of Nigerian pastor Timothy Omotoso and Isiwe Dike could leave the dock after five days of intense testimony and cross-examination in the Port Elizabeth High Court in South Africa. The defense concluded its cross-examination on Tuesday. However, 
The issue of inaccuracies in her statement still needs to be addressed at a later stage. DK has told the court how difficult it was for her to leave the church house. Omotoso and his two co-accused are facing more than 96 related charges. Veronica Furi reports. And the see where DK had decided that she net not herself so far could cry om die gebeuren in die kerkhuis aan die valken te rapporteer nie. Sy was beangst oor die gevolge wat dit sou hee. Uit ondervinding het sy geweet dat Omotoso een vloek oor haar sou uitspreek, of sy sou een vroege doodsterf, of verneder word in die kerk en dat hy haar leven sou hel maak. Omotoso, een pastoor van Nigeria, is later dier die valken in hechtenis geneem na een onderzoek by die huis. DK het weer vertel hoe sterk sy hou vast op die jongvrouwe was. Sy het eerst die moed gehad om die sogenaamde man van God by die politie te rapporteer nadat sy uit die huis is en tyd gehad het om al die gebeure in perspektief te sien. Sy het ten sterkste ontken dat sy ooit ingestem het tot die gereelde seksuele aanranding. Sy was ongemakkelijk en hy het selfs vir haar gesê sy moet ontspan. Sy was ook te bang om om teen te gaan en het haar maar net oorgegeen. Die verdediging, sy Peter Doberman, het verduidelik dat sy by implikatie ingestem het. And that was our reporter in Veronica Furry, who is uh, following the Omotoso trial, um, where Omotoso, the controversial Nigerian pastor, who is in the dock with the two co-accused um, with facing charges of 90 charges of sex-related um, cases. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Good morning. Finance ministers and central bank governors from the G7 leading economies say they're ready to support the financial system against the impact of the coronavirus using government funds. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. The G7 said they would use all appropriate policy tools to safeguard against risks. Although they did not spell out exactly what they would do, they did suggest there could be an important role for the government finances, spending programmes and tax cuts. They said central banks would continue to fulfil their mandate, which could, depending on the circumstances, mean interest rate cuts or other stimulative measures. The G7 have not set out coordinated rate cuts or spending measures, not yet at least, something that was done in response to the global financial crisis. The World Bank has committed over 103 million US dollars in aid for developing countries grappling with the spread of the coronavirus. The emergency package includes low-cost loans, grants and technical assistance. This follows warnings that the slowdown from the outbreak could tip the country into recession. Authorities have confirmed more than 92,000 cases of the virus worldwide, of which more than 80,000 are in China. More than 3,000 people have died globally, the vast majority in China. The U.S. Federal Reserve Bank has made an emergency cut to interest rates due to the coronavirus outbreak. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, has warned that the load shedding is not expected on Wednesday. Rather, that although load shedding is not expected on Wednesday, the probability remains high as it has experienced a number of unplanned breakdowns. ESCOM is currently using its emergency reserves to keep the lights on and supplement the shortage in supply. Spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja. 12,700 megawatts of unplanned breakdowns. But at this point, all things are looking good. We're just highlighting that there is a possibility. We will keep the market informed. South African Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Gordon says that the history of monopoly operators among many state-owned enterprises have resulted in higher staff costs. Addressing the Fedusa bargaining conference, Gordon said there was an urgent need to review the remuneration and benefit structures to be in line with respective industries. He says SOEs will have to review their business model. There are staffing impacts uh, as well, which we need to dialogue about. 
Uh, in some instances, more qualified staff are required. In other instances, staff costs are higher than they should be because some of these are monopolies. As monopolies, they've been able to look after themselves, to put it politely. And there's an urgent need to review the structures uh, of remuneration and benefits in many of these institutions so that they're in line with what is expected for the category of institution that we're actually dealing with. Facebook is reported to be rethinking its plans for a digital currency following resistance from regulators. The company announced the launch of the Libra currency last year to make payments easier. The BBC's Zoe Thomas reports. Facebook will offer government-backed currencies such as the U.S. dollar and euro, along with its own digital currency, Libra, when it launches its online wallet later this year. That's according to reports from Bloomberg News and the technology site The Information. The launch date for Facebook's online wallet to hold this money will also be delayed. It's expected to launch in October instead of the summer of 2020. Regulators around the globe have raised questions about the Libra project since Facebook founded it. They want to know how Facebook will ensure the currency is not used by criminals. The U.S. dollar is trading at 363 Nigerian Nara 97, 10 Botswana Pula 99, 100 Kenyan Shilin 90, and 15 Zambian Guacha 22. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you four Brazilian roll 48, 66 Russian ruble 18, 73 Indian rupee 5, 6 Chinese yuan 96 at 15 South African rand 43. The U.S. dollar is trading at 78 pence to the British pound, 89 cents to the euro, golden thousand, six forty-one dollars platinum, eight eighty-two dollars per ounce, brand crude oil, fifty-two dollars seventy-five cents a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figi Lelingwati. In our sports update, we begin with Olympic news. The International Olympic Committee, IOC's President Thomas Bach, and executive board gave further strong backing to this year's Tokyo Olympics with no talk of a postponement or move due to the coronavirus outbreak. A 66-year-old German lawyer and former Olympic fencing champion has a firm grip on IOC decision-making and is known for sticking to his guns in adversity. Following a very comprehensive uh, discussion uh, today in the uh, executive board, uh, the uh, IOC uh, remains uh, fully committed uh, to uh, the success of the Olympic Games uh, Tokyo 2020. There is a task force in place uh, since uh, mid-February and uh, following uh, the regular information from uh, this uh, task force, uh, which uh, consists of uh, the IOC, the organizing uh, committee, uh, the host city of Tokyo, uh, the government of uh, Japan, and in particular the World Health uh, Organization, we uh, remain uh, very confident uh, with regard to the success of these uh, Olympic Games uh, Tokyo 2020. Cricket News reports women have the opportunity to put an end to an unwanted record in the T20 World Cup semi-final against host Australia. In the 15 ODIs and 4T20s between the two teams, the Proteas have never managed to beat the team from down under. But that might be about to change as South Africa showed fine form by finishing the group stages of the tournament by topping Group B with three wins in four matches. They are now scheduled to take on the defending champions on Thursday at the Sydney Cricket Ground at 10 o'clock South African time. Proteas skipper Danny Fanikerk said that Despite going into the tournament as underdogs, their campaign has been smooth sailing so far. And tennis news. This team South Africa has finally arrived in Bosnia and Herzegovina ahead of their Davis Cup tie against the host this weekend. The two nations face off in the World Group 1 playoff tie in Zanika. This follows South Africa's 4-1 victory over Bulgaria at the Kelvin Grove Club in Cape Town last year in September to advance to the playoff round. 
Team South Africa is made up of Lloyd Harris, Raven Klassen, Juan Rulofse, and teen sensation Kolo Monzi. Rising South African star Lloyd Harris will spearhead the Team South Africa's challenge. At 93 in the world, Harris is the highest-ranked singles player from both teams in the tie. Captain Marcos Andruska shares his thoughts on the upcoming tie. Into the tie, um, you know, the team arrived safely over here. Um, they're all healthy, which is great uh, in this day and age. And, uh, you know, we've, we've hit some balls yesterday. We've hit some balls today. Every day we're getting a little bit better. Uh, I think the court surface is a very fair court surface. I think it's slow. I think that... Um, you know, it's reasonably heavier balls, so I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be some really good tennis this weekend. Golf news as we wrap up. Rory McElroy will play alongside Justin Rose and defending champion Francesco Molinari for the first two rounds of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. McElroy, who claimed a three-shot win at Bay Hill in 2018, has posted top five finishes in his last six worldwide starts and looks to continue his impressive runoff form ahead of his players' championship title defense next week. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Kenya beefs up security along its border with Somalia, and South Africa's Deputy President warns against lawlessness in land reform. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsura Magaza and uh, Tutungubeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Mikasa with a song titled Toka.
casa toca. Toca. Toca música, mi 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 casa toca. Toca. Toca música. 